welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Schell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. I'm on a thing that the Lord's given me, and that is to talk about the, the Holy Spirit. To understand, it seems like we've had all kinds of debates and discussions that go on to the point that people are, are left uh, not knowing what to do. And so we've talked about who is the Holy Spirit. We've talked about what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We've seen the promise of the Father. What, what is this all about? What we've actually seen is how essential the Holy Spirit is to the entire agenda of God. This isn't a third person of the Trinity theologically. This is what we, we are supposed to be living our lives, talking to him, hearing from him, depending on his power and grace on a constant basis. That is Jesus' plan for winning the world. He says, all of, I'll be the head, you'll be the body. All of you full of the Holy Spirit will then carry at my instructions I, actually, in my instructions, I will continue my ministry. Jesus never stopped ministering on planet Earth. He simply decided to do it now corporately through his people. He the head, we the body, we do what he tells us to do. We follow him like he followed the Father, follow it, you get it? And he now continues to minister all over the earth. That's the plan. Well, it got, it got <laughs> sidelined uh, in the course of church history to some degree. Uh, and... Uh, as we come back, we've been talking about it so that we can, we can walk that way. What we're doing today, I've got, I've got some material. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to transition you from the individual, the life of the Spirit for you and me as individuals, and we're going to transition to us as the people of God. God is not only in us, he's with us, he's among us. And he wants to work through us as a community. And so we'll, we'll make that transition then I'm going, to, I'm going to catch you up because I'm going to come into 1 Corinthians at chapter 12. And we're going to go through 12, 13, and 14, right there in that discussion in which Paul describes what an early church service was like. He's in discipline, he's in correction, and yet we can learn a huge amount about how the early church functioned. So we're going to go through those chapters verse by verse. I'm only taking the first three today. I'm going through verse 1 through 3, and we'll, we'll see the message that Paul brings us. We're gonna, so it's going to teach us how do we together as a people function in the Holy Spirit. Are you ready for that? Yes. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask for open ears. We ask for open eyes. We want to hear you, and we want to see you. Every one of us, Lord, we really do. We want to be spiritual men and women. We're able to function at your leadership, trust your power, and, and, and serve you as you've called us and designed us to do. So here we are. May the word be opened. Grace me to get out of the way. And Lord, help us follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. I'll read the text in a little bit, so hang on to it. But I'm going to start you in the introduction. So here we are. The baptism with the Holy Spirit is a gift God gives to an individual. The Spirit of God comes to dwell within the temple of that person's body. And as we've seen in our previous studies, this indwelling is essential equipment 
if we are going to fulfill Jesus' expectation that his earthly ministry would be continued through us. For that to happen, each of us must be able to speak what we hear him say and do what we see him do. Just as he followed the Father's lead in everything. Now I'm assuming some of you, most of you have been with me through the Gospel of John. When we went through the Gospel of John, this, this walk, this process, of which Jesus says, I do nothing that I don't see the Father do. You have to understand, Jesus wasn't freelancing. Sort of the Son of God, here we go, let's find something to do. He was, everything he did was in response to what he saw the Father do. I would suppose the leading of the Holy Spirit. So when he saw God doing something or healing somebody, he went and prayed for that person. When he, and then he says, I also, I only speak what I hear the Father say. I say nothing of my own accord. So he, he, would, he was in constant response mode. Constantly hearing, seeing, and following. He didn't initiate. He followed the lead of God. Let me tell you, if Jesus did that, who are you, you and I to think we would do otherwise? And, and so he says, now, I will... You will now, as my people, full of the Holy Spirit, I'll send the Holy Spirit. He's with you, but he will be in you. And when he is, then I and the Father will come and make our abode in you. And I'll guide you as your head, just as the Father's guided me. So you will do what I, you, hear, you, you see me doing. You will speak what you hear me speaking. Notice everything in this uh, is based on the understanding that we can hear from God. Everything in there is that you and I can hear from God. If we can't hear from God, the entire process is cut off. Everything stops. Jesus' plan was not that we'd sit in rows, give an offering, and hear a lecture. His plan was that we would be led by him and follow him, and that we would do it together. Let's go back. The Lord's plan was never for his followers to operate independently of one another. He expected us to be joined into a community of believers. He would be our head and we as various members of his body would collectively carry his salvation to our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. I think every church, every family of God is responsible in a sense for all of those. But when we read church history, we discover that the church as a spiritual community only functioned that way for a few centuries. Its family-like gatherings were soon replaced by hierarchical structures and liturgical services. Where, where the thing really hit a bump was when Constantine, the Roman emperor, became a Christian. Now, I'm glad he became a Christian. Let me, let me just say that. It's a good thing. Uh, but what happened is the politics changed. From being a persecuted uh, group who were thriving in homes and, <laughs> and hiding out, you know, uh, and, and trusting Jesus. And, and they did, by the way. Um, they, they did, the, the work of the Spirit uh, continued for centuries. It didn't just die out right away. Um, it, it went for, uh, through the, into the fourth century. And they were particularly effective, one of the things that caused the church to grow so expansively was their power over demons. Um, if you know, if you, we, I don't need to explain it to you in America anymore, we got plenty of demons. Um, but if, all over the world, they're quite aware of spiritual opposition. And so when, a, when, when somebody's tormented and then this 
Christian can come and in the name of Jesus command the thing to go, he's got, that person got the attention of the whole town. And so it was that and their, and their certainty of eternal life and eternal judgment. Those qualities caused that church to thrive. And it became the dominant religion in, in three, about 300 years. The dominant religion of the Roman Empire. And it was this kind of movement. Well, then Constantine becomes a Christian. And now politically, it's advantageous to be a Christian. You can make money at this. <laughs> you know, there's money in the church. There's, you know, there's the whole thing. And so it, it brought the world into the church. And that, that was where we really suffered. The clearest picture of how the early church functioned is found in chapters 11 through 14 of 1 Corinthians. In those chapters, we hear Paul correcting certain attitudes and errors in the way the Corinthian believers conducted themselves. And if we listen closely, we can reconstruct in our minds what took place in their services. We see men and women gathered together and individuals led by the Holy Spirit, contributing to the upbuilding of the whole assembly by expressing various spiritual gifts. I need to say something else there. Did you notice I said men and women? The thinking, kind of the, the common understanding is, well, you know, they divided and men and women were on the other side and poor women, they were all just chattel and this kind of thing. That is not true. That is not true at all. That came later. The... Even the Jewish synagogue, which you often picture as divided and women, that's, men and women sat together. There, there was no such divider. Uh, how do I know? I've seen one. Right now, if we, when we go to Israel this year, well, one of the stops we have is a new stop. They just found this thing, you know, in the last 10 years. And they found the synagogue that's in Magdal, which is Mary Magdalene. This is her, and it's between Capernaum and Tiberias. They knew it was somewhere in there where they found it. The guy was, wanted to build a hotel. Actually, the Catholic Church wanted to build a hotel. And you have to do archaeological soundings. And so they went over the whole property, no problem, no problem. And then thunk, you know, they hit something. And, well, what they hit was this, this town of Migdal. It's fabulous. I mean, it's intact. And so there's the synagogue. And... There's no divider anywhere. And it just was what it is. It's just this, it's just this, where, and everybody sat there, men and women did that. Where that kind of, of, of treatment of women came in was, was in Judaism and in Christianity with the years of, uh, under Islam. Even, you notice that in Judaism, you'll often see these little, these little uh, caps they wear, the kippah. That was not Jewish. Uh, that was, that's something that, has, uh, that was picked up over their thousand years of oppression uh, while they were living in Islam. You notice Islam wears a cap. So it, it, you, Paul didn't wear a kippah. Those people didn't wear a kippah. Paul says men shouldn't even cover the head. Remember that? He, he knew, knew of nothing like that. That came in later. Just saying. Our roots are not in having women oppressed. Or not, not, not ministering. Yes, there's an order in families and all that kind of stuff, but there was not. Paul um, list, lists the most common forms and then gives strong pastoral, uh, spiritual gifts and gives pastoral instruction on how and when they should be expressed. Because these chapters are unique in their description of the operation of these gifts and because they are today the focus of much controversy, we will study chapters 12 through 14 over the coming weeks. 
verse by verse. To allow Paul to teach us how the Holy Spirit desires to minister through us when we gather. When I became a youth minister, uh, 1970, January of 1972, um, I had grown up in just a home church. Uh, uh, that Never mind. I didn't know how church ran. I'm suddenly the youth minister in a, in a Presbyterian church. And uh, I think, what am I supposed to do? What do you, what do, you do in church? You know? Um, I know what we did in the home, worshiped and waited on the Spirit. Um, and so I, I started looking through the Bible. Where in here does it say how to have church? Well, there, other, Acts chapter 2 tells you four things that the early church did when they gathered. And then there's 1 Corinthians chapters 12, actually 11, 12, 13, and 14. That's it. That's the sweet spot. That's what you find when you go to the scripture. And the picture it paints is not what we've uh, come to today. It paint, paints the picture of a community gathering and waiting on the Lord. Certainly the word would be preached. Certainly there would be worship. Uh, but it, of a community in which the spirit of the Lord is bringing forth the gifts of the spirit. It's a very different thing. So I began to just follow what I saw in there and that caused its own problems. Okay, let's go back here. A troubled church. Paul was the one who introduced the gospel to the city of Corinth. I'm now taking, I'm going to take you through chapters 1 through 11, basically, to catch you up and give you a sense so that when we get into chapter 12, you know the community we're talking about. Paul was the one who introduced the gospel to the city of Corinth. And he pastored the church there for the first year and a half of its, of its existence. He wrote this letter from Ephesus about five years after leaving Corinth. And as we read through it, we can see that the church faced serious challenges after he left. It divided into opposing groups who were loyal to different leaders based in part on who baptized them. Greek philosophy and mental pride began to erode the basic truths of the gospel among some. Certain rich, powerful individuals looked down on Paul because of the suffering and poverty he endured as an apostle. Isn't that something? When you, when you read with 1 Corinthians and, then, and also 2 Corinthians, they despised Paul. He came to them, you know, in, in, after a really rough time in, 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 in Athens and in, in, in North. And uh, so he was, he was poor. He, 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 went, he went to work. He refused to, to take offerings, all of this. And they look down on him for it. They say you're unimpressive and your speech is contemptible. My, can you imagine saying that about Apostle Paul? It's just like, wow, woo. A blatant case of incest and continued visits to temple prostitutes were being tolerated. Members of the church were suing each other in secular courts. Married couples were practicing celibacy and divorcing. Gentile believers were living like Jews and Jewish believers were living like Gentiles. They all faced some sort of present distress, which Paul apparently believed might be the beginning of the events leading to up to the return of Christ. Some members of the church were asserting their freedom in Christ to do things that troubled the conscience of others, and by their example were pressuring them to do things they believed were wrong. Some were claiming that Paul wasn't a valid apostle because he didn't fit their criteria. Here are their criteria. These are impressive. He didn't travel with a wife. Or receive financial offerings. Boy, if you can't tell an apostle from that, I don't know what you, what, what, what you can find. There, there you go. Um, Paul said, no way you're going <laughs> to 
going to take my boast from me. Anyway, some of the women in the church, recognizing their spiritual equality with men, were uncovering their heads during gatherings, which was an immodest action in that culture. When the church held a fellowship meal, people ate the food they brought with them and refused to share any of it with the poorer members who were hungry. Paul came off his seat on that one. He said, what? You know, don't you have houses to eat in? <laughs> he's, 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 he's ticked. Some even got drunk on the wine. Check this out. Some even got drunk on the wine they brought to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And finally, some were teaching that believers would not physically be resurrected from the dead. There's a heresy for you. As we begin our study in this section of Corinthians, it is helpful to remember the problems that troubled this church. Because these same wrong attitudes affected the way they ministered in the spirit. Let's face it, Corinth was not a healthy church. So you and I must learn the right way to do things by listening to Paul correct the wrong ways they were doing them. But we need to be very careful as we do that. We must not assume that because the Corinthians did something wrong in the way they expressed the spiritual gift, that Paul is condemning the use of that gift altogether. He is not. He is correcting, he is pastoring, he is counseling, he is guiding. He is stopping certain behaviors and starting others. His goal for them was to be, was to be men and women who moved freely in the spirit. But as they did so, he wanted them to be guided by the same selfless love that led our Lord to the cross. That's what chapter 13 is all about. These chapters were meant to strengthen our resolve to allow the Holy Spirit to minister through us when we gather. But they were also meant to caution us to avoid pride, prioritize the needs of others. We'll be seeing all these, these great principles. And to do nothing that draws the congregation's attention away from Jesus. Now we'll read 1 Corinthians 12 verses 1 through 3. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren. What he says is now concerning spirituals. Pneumaticos. Brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant, unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols. However you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Paul begins his explanation of the operation of the Holy Spirit, what he calls the pneumaticos, spirituals, by reminding the Corinthians that not all spiritual manifestations are from God. The devil can also inspire prophecies and do wonders. Oracles, divinations, and even healings were, were and still are a regular part of other religions. Yet the guidance and power that people received from those sources didn't lead them toward the true God and his salvation. It led them into deception and bondage to demons. I need to emphasize this a minute. You need to realize how much prophecy was a part of, of, those, early, of those, those Greek religions. Um, Corinth isn't far from a place called Delphi. Delphi is up in the, in the mountains a bit to the north and 
and to the west. But at Delphi, uh, you've heard of the Oracle of Delphi. One of their, the symbol they had out in front, or actually it was a, it was a live thing. They had a big uh, python, <laughs> you know, wound in a tree or something. That, you, know, you, you know you're in the right place when you got a python, you know, at the front door. Um, so... You remember the uh, young woman who was uh, demon-possessed and was a, um, a, an oracle uh, there? Was that in Philippi? Um, she, in the Greek, it, she had the spirit of Puthanos, Python. So it's, in other words, she's, in, she's expressing the same thing as at Delphi. It's, 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 she's part of, the, part of that um, whole thing. So you've got this python uh, in, the, in the front, but what they have there uh, is, is this great fissure in the ground. It, it goes deep down. And at the time, uh, a, 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 not, a gas came out of that thing. That I forget what kind of gas they think it was, but it, it, it uh, made you, uh, uh, it drugged. And so they hung a, they had a little triangle, I mean, a thing they stuck over this thing with a seat they suspended. And they put a woman, uh, a prophetess, uh, on that seat over this uh, fissure in the ground. And this gas would come up and, and she'd get looped. And then when she's looped, they would ask her questions. And that's how you get a prophecy. Now, this is a big deal. I mean, these, these, the roads to this place are paved with marble. <laughs> People are bringing, coming from all over, you know, bringing their, their financial gifts, uh, hoping the prophet will even speak to them. You know, so, so they're coming and they wait and there's these, these huge pillars and, the, I mean, the doors to these temples and things uh, could be just like 20 feet high. They're enormous things, these big wood doors, you know, and every so often... Uh, uh, the, one of the one of the priests of this thing would come out and you know the doors would open up and he comes out who you know who's there <laughs> you know people I'm out here and and they're coming and they want to know you know should I marry this person should I do this business deal will our child live I mean all of these deep questions of the human heart they're coming to what they know and so they're coming you know seeking seeking a prophecy. Seeking the word of God, it's 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 tragic, and and the and the and the, the priest is kind of like, you know, well, he'll pick one, you know, kind of. Not everybody even gets gets a chance at this. All right, you, you know, and he takes takes their money and and all of this kind of thing, and I'll go ask, you know, and and the doors are closed, and you go back to this poor poor woman sitting there, you know, in the, in the seat, and you ask her a que- you ask her these questions, and you sort of decipher the babbling that comes out of her. I'm not making this up, people. I, I'm not. This is this is it. This this is Delphi, and uh, and then you come back and you tell the person whatever babbling thing you had, if you got something at all for her, for or for that person. Um, huge money, enormous temples, uh, huge massive columns, uh, great uh, carvings and door. I mean, this is an industry. And there's lots of these. So when Paul talks about, he says, you, were, you, you, had, you know prophecy. And here's what he's saying is, and you got burnt, didn't you? You would go to these false prophets and they really worked you over, didn't they? And let me ask you a question. How many of you have been burned by a false prophecy somewhere in your life? <laughs> Some, yeah, one person. 
I don't believe that for a second, but, but that's fine. I understand. It's hard to say that. Uh, how many of you, now you don't have to raise your hands on this. I, yeah. How many of you have at times brought a word that it really wasn't from the Lord? You made a mistake. Look, Paul is going to talk about how the community of God's people move in the things of the Spirit. And so he begins right up front and says, look, the number one thing is you have got to learn to figure out, is that the Spirit of God or not? Every one of us has to have that. We have to have that capacity in which we are discerning. We are separating the wheat from the chaff, the truth from the false. We have to do it for ourselves if we're gullible. What does he start out with? I I would not have you ignorant, gullible, naive. If you're going to walk in the spirit, you're going to have to grow up. There's a maturity that requires of us to have that part of our life. So Paul begins this entire discussion by telling the Corinthian church that he doesn't want them to be ignorant, meaning untaught, naive, or gullible, when it comes to the proper operation of the supernatural gifts of the spirit. He reinforces his warning by reminding them of what happened to them in the past when they didn't know how to distinguish a true prophecy from a false one. And then he gives them a simple criteria to separate what's true from what's false. Here it is. For this reason, I make known to you that no one speaking in the spirit of God says, and and this this is what the Greek says, anathema Jesus. And I I give you a translation. I could not bring myself to put Jesus' name in there. (laughs) I'm not going to write that statement. So that's the the flat line you got there. May blank be set apart for God's destruction. I'll explain more in a minute. And no one, he says, can say Lord Jesus except in the Holy Spirit. Paul uses an example of extreme blasphemy against Jesus. But it was probably not that uncommon at the time. The gospel was a new message confronting established religions and it often faced violent opposition both physically and verbally from both Judaism and Gentile cults alike. In the book of Acts, Luke describes the gospel coming to Corinth and notes that that some in the synagogue responded to Paul's preaching with blasphemy. And that blasphemy may well have included the words anathema, Jesus, and may on occasion have come in the form of a prophetic denunciation of him. It's even possible that this terrible phrase was the very words that the Saul of Tarsus tried to extract from Christians when he whipped them in the synagogues. The word anathema is is Greek, but it is the very word which is used in the Greek translation of the Bible. When something or someone was set apart for destruction. See those references I give you? Ah, there's lots, lots more than that. But anathema is part of the, of the Septuagint. It's, it's in there. And so when you have uh, the city of Jericho. Remember Jericho? Uh, it was under the ban. It was harem. It was to be destroyed entirely. None of the gold was to be taken. Uh, no, nothing was to be touched from this thing. You bring it down and you burn it. That's harem. Something is, something is to be completely destroyed. It is anathema. So, 
let me, let me make one more thing. This is my speculation, but I think, where does this word come? Because the word is anatithemi. Uh, and it means to put up, place up. I think, what's that? You know, there was two kinds of offerings for the burnt offering in, in, in Israel. One was the wave offering. You would, you would go out with the thing and back. And you would then consume it and the priests would. I mean, it was, we're offering it to God, but we're also bringing it back for our use. But there was another one called the heave offering. You seen that? They, and, and there they would just lift it up and hold it. And means it's all God's and it would be consumed entirely. Destroyed completely. It would be burnt. It is anathema Jesus. This thing, this isn't just, a, Paul's not picking up some, some idea. He's not just throwing something out there. This is a term that was being used. Undoubtedly by prophets, as they would prophesy against him. As I said, this may well be what Paul tried to extract as he's whipping Christians in the synagogues. Say it! Say it! Trying to get them to say that horrible thing. Think how complete it is, how horrible it is. It's a, it's a vulgar thing. So Paul is, Paul is picking this and he's saying, no one, no one says that from the Spirit of God. Think. Don't just think, is it a prophecy? Ask, what's the Spirit behind it? Listen for what's being said. Evaluate. You must grow up. You must listen and evaluate what you're hearing or you are going to be deeply misled. The oracles and diviners in the idol temple, in the idol temple, surely prophesied against Jesus as well. So Paul is speaking to people in Corinth who likely had all sorts of prophecies, some of which even pretended to be God condemning Jesus. And he's telling them to be cautious about accepting a spiritual manifestation just because someone says it's from God. Even if that manifestation comes in a church service. That's where he's going with this. The question he wanted them to ask themselves is, does this word come from the spirit of God or is it from some other source? Would you say that question out loud with me? Does this word come from the spirit of God or is it from some other source? And if you and I don't learn to ask that question, we too can be led astray. Each of us must learn to separate what's true from what's false. The problem with prophecy. The problem with prophecy is that it's supposed to be God who is speaking. And if God says something, who can argue with it? After all, he's God. So our inclination when we hear a prophecy is to set our judgment aside and passively accept what we hear even if it doesn't seem right. We assume God must know something we don't. And sometimes that's true. He is telling us things we don't understand or find hard to believe. So the proper response is to humbly submit. But here is where prophecy becomes dangerous. Just because someone claims to be speaking for God doesn't mean they are. We may be listening to something that is nothing more than that person's own thoughts on a matter expressed in prophetic language. Or even worse, it could be something motivated by the enemy. And to make the situation even more complicated, 
Sometimes part of what's said is from God, and part is merely the person's own thoughts. Did you follow that? You can have a mixture of both. So the result is a mixture of inspiration and flesh, which leaves us having to discern which is which. And we must also be able to discern these things not only in others, but in ourself as well. Are we aware when we stop speaking God's word and start speaking our own? Are we humble enough to stop mid-sentence and confess to others when we make a mistake? Since the baptism of the Holy Spirit places the giver of all gifts within each believer, every one of us is capable of prophesying when the Spirit leads us. And the verse I have there is where Paul says, for you can all prophesy one by one each in turn, so that all may be edified. Are you and I able, willing, to have the integrity to self-correct? Integrity means absolutely everything in this. But know this, that all of us, all of us who are baptized in the Holy Spirit, and that's every Christian who's, who's welcomed in what God has given, all of us have the capacity, because the giver of all gifts dwells in us. Say, the giver of all gifts dwells within me. Now, you have people who take this approach and they say, well, some people have one gift and some people have another gift. And, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. But the idea being is, uh, don't ask me to pray for the sick. I don't have the gift. That's your job. Um, my, you know, so we start compartmentalizing. I, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm a this. You know, it, it's so, so human to have done this with it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do whatever he asks me to do. The giver of all gifts dwells within you. So if he asks you to pray for somebody, you can do it. If he asks you to, if you need a word from the Lord, you can have it. The Holy Spirit's there. You can do whatever he asks you to do. It's a really important understanding. Um, at the men's retreat. We talked about Daniel, and we talked about uh, how, how to live in a, in, in, in a, in a difficult environment, but to, with hope. And so we, the, one, one of the messages was becoming indispensable. We saw how Daniel was elevated in a hostile uh, Babylonian culture. Uh, this is all pagan, everything, but he is uh, elevated uh, to the point that he becomes the head over the uh, very province of Babylon. How does he do it? He does it because the man can, is prophetic. He can move in the gifts. He can hear a prophecy. He can discern a dream. He can move in that capacity. And so we were saying, if we're going to live in the, in the society we have, we must become spirit-led. We must be able to hear this. To, 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 to demonstrate to the men that they indeed have this capacity... Uh, on, on Saturday night, we, we have uh, one of the things we have in our men's retreat is, is uh, there's, there's a small group leader and every, every man who comes is assigned to a small group. So you're, you're never alone. You don't wander around the property. You're, everybody's got a small group and, and fellowship and ministry that builds the same one over the, over the retreat. I said, let's get into these groups and here's what I want you to do. I want you, every man to just sit down in a chair or whatever and I want the other men around in that circle to, to listen to the Lord. The man in this, who's sitting there is not to tell any needs. To say nothing. Just sit there. 
And I want the others to pray and say, what should I pray for my brother? God, give me something to pray for this person. And then when you feel you have it, go ahead and pray out. And I said, then when we're done, I want, you, I want uh, the person to say, what touched you? What was true? You know, and in effect, what was not? But what was remarkable in the process is that these men, without any sense of coaching or knowing what to pray about that person, we're praying these, these powerful, accurate prayers, which is very touching, isn't it? You don't know my need, and you just prayed for it. God knows my need. I mean, that's the message of it all. Uh, I sat in on a couple of groups, and so I mean, and say, and it, and I, it was happening just right across the board. What, the, what we were learning is, as men is, yes, we can hear from God. See, every time we talk about hearing God's voice, we're talking about prophecy. You, you can't separate it. It's not just standing up in a church service. Everything you do when you say, God, what, what am I supposed to do here? And you're listening for that voice. That's prophetic. Can I hear? Can I hear him? And the answer is, yes, you can. You go, oh, no, I can't. Yes, you can. <laughs> See, look, you're spiritual. You're a spirit in a body as much as any person in, this, in the room. It does take practice. It does take learning which voice is which. It, there's, a, there's a sensitizing, and there's a mis, you, we make mistakes, and we step out and go, oops, that was the wrong voice. That's how you learn. But if you understand that this is essential, it's important, then we will try. And we will pick ourselves up and try again. And what will come of it is that you and I will become spiritual men and women who can hear from God and can minister as he leads us. In our families, in our workplaces. That was the point about Daniel. God, the, 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 the gifts of the spirit don't turn on and off. It's not like this is for church and then you're on your own out there. You and I can listen literally for solutions in our business. Do you have a family crisis you don't know what to do with? He does. He does, see? This is how we're supposed to be functioning. And what happens is when we hear the word of the Lord and his life begins to come into a situation, a, a business solution, a family solution, a whatever it is, your garden, there's a prospering, there's an elevating. And people begin to go, who are you? Who are you that has such wisdom? Don't we see that with Joseph in the Bible? Don't we see that with, with Daniel? Don't we see on and on and on? God has that for all of us. It is important to him. Listen to me. This is not happy talk. This is not positive thing. It is important for him that he elevate you. He wants you to cover his people. He wants to put you in positions of influence to protect his people. And to establish righteousness. And he wants the unbelieving world to see, here's how I treat my people. There is a shalom that is to come over our lives. There's a blessing. It's, 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 it's the way God wants to work. It's not, it's not about are we comfortable. It is about is the shalom there? Is the wisdom there? Is there a grace? Why is that person able to do that? And then the answer is, as Daniel gave, Oh, king, I have nothing in me. I have no knowledge. But the God I serve knows all things. And he turns to the Babylonian king. 
Babylonian king went through quite a, quite a, quite a process. Before he, but he didn't come to glorify God. All right, let's go back. So what separates an effective prophecy from a false one is not the capacity to prophesy, but the integrity with which we do it. In prophecy, as in everything else, human will and a, human's, and a person's integrity are involved. Now let me stop for again. Integrity is not flawlessness. Integrity is not that you never make mistakes. Integrity is that you self-correct. And a person with integrity makes mistakes like anybody else. They're just honest about it when it happens. A person without integrity spends their time blaming everyone else. Making themselves out to be somehow the guilt and responsibility for my choices is yours or theirs or my mother's. My poor mother. <laughs> we, we, we spend our time doing that or we deny it. I didn't do that. I didn't say that. What are you going to get? That is the lack of integrity. But an integrous person acknowledges openly, self-corrects quickly, even seeks correction. There's a humility to integrity. And when that, a person has that, even if you make mistakes, we learn to trust you. In the spiritual gifts, when a person stands up and speaks for the Lord, or when a person goes to someone's bedside and speaks a word from the Lord, man, we have to trust you. It is not just about the word, it's you. Do I believe in you? Do I trust that you are an honest person, that you really heard this from God? Can I, have, have I seen that kind of thing in you? So what, what's huge in this is our integrity. Do we speak only what we hear him say and stop when he stops? Do we monitor our attitude and refuse to allow temper, pride, or fear to affect what we say or the way we say it? Is it, our integ is, it is our integrity, our knowledge of Scripture... Let me, how do you learn what is, what is the, will, uh, the, the word of the Lord? How, how, if I'm growing in this, I don't know what I'm doing, Pastor. How do I start? Where do I learn? The Bible. Read it. And please memorize. You and I should all be constantly memorizing. Uh, last night, I couldn't sleep. I had a, I had a difficult night. And uh, so I'm reciting uh, Isaiah 52. <laughs> Verse 13 down through 53, as best I could. You know, I, I, I'm reciting scripture in my mind. I, 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 it's in there. What's, what's the point of that? You learn how God talks. You learn how he thinks. His attitudes, the way he deals with certain situations. They become familiar to you. So when you hear something, you hear a word, you can say, no, the God I know doesn't talk like that. If, if someone were to call up and pretend to be my wife on the telephone, you know, hi, this is Mary. Uh, um, they might be good at mimicking her voice, you know, but if it talks a little while down the line, after a while I'm going, okay, who is this really? Why? I know her. Now, I admit, I don't know all. I mean, I'm constantly learning new things, but <laughs> she does things that make me laugh. Anyway. But, but uh, in the course of it, I know her heart. I know her, I know her thoughts. So if somebody's trying to imitate her, it ain't going to take me long to go, I don't know who you are. Uh, 
Good imitation, but that ain't her. And you and I must learn to do exactly that with a prophetic word. Somebody's bringing something, you're going, uh, that's not the God I serve. Do you understand? If we don't, we can't have the gifts among us. We'll get hurt. But if we decide, if we all say, okay, I'll grow. I'll learn this. And I'll take responsibility for my own spiritual life. And when I hear something that's off, I'm hanging up. We can, because mistakes will always be made. There'll always be a learning factor. You do your best, you, you, and then Paul has lots to say. But what we're going to see is, if we go into these chapters, is a place where the, where the body of Christ is participating. And, part, and, and it's and hugely having to do with the word of the Lord. So it is our integrity, our knowledge of scripture, our submission to the Lord, and listen to this, our love for his people. If you don't love them, just be quiet. Which are the real factors which determine whether or not we are effective in ministering any of the spiritual gifts. A person who seeks to speak on God's behalf but lacks these qualities produces far more trouble than any help they might provide. They mislead, confuse, condemn, and cause others to despise prophetic utterances. There are people that don't want to hear another prophecy as long as they live. Uh, they have heard them to hear. And if they're done poorly, if this isn't, if this isn't happened properly, the, the, the horrible uh, response is indifference. Disrespect. I don't value the word of the Lord. It's just bunch of bunk. I've heard that a million times. Some people prophesy because they desire attention. Some people use it to dominate a gathering. Some prophesy in order to force God to do something they want him to do. In other words, if I prophesy it, he's got to do it. And some say the same thing over and over again. Test everything. So the need in all of us for discernment is great. But in spite of these dangers... A prophecy, when a prophecy is accurate, it powerfully edifies, exhorts, or comforts us. Boy, when it's on, it is just heavenly. The whole church is able to hear God speak, and it brings us life. Though there are, there are problems with prophecy because it is, there is immaturity in people. Its benefits demand that we grow in our capacity to prophesy, not discard it. Apparently, the church in Thessalonica was experiencing false or loveless prophecy. In fact, one of the things they, one of the prophecies they'd heard, Paul says, if you've heard a, a word as if for me, or, or was that um, the, the return of the Lord had happened already. I suppose he's come and we all got left. I, I don't know what they're doing with it. But they, they had some really uh, ugly false prophecy going on. Paul felt the need to write these words to them. Why don't you read it with me? And you can write, read those. Uh, those are just my translation of the word as well. Do not quench, put out a fire. The spirit. Do not despise, consider worthless prophecies. But examine, approve after testing everything carefully. Hold fast, take hold of, and keep to that which is good. Abstain, hate from every form, outward expression of evil. Do you notice that word hate? That caught me off guard. 
I, I, it, he does say that. He not only says, I want you to, to take hold of and keep to yourself that which is good. You hang on to it. He doesn't, he doesn't say, and just avoid that which is bad. And I, there's a word there, and I, I, mis, I misunderstood it. I thought it was a different verb. And when you get down to it, it by George, it means hate. And he says, I want you to hate. <laughs> when it's false, I want you to hate it. Don't go, I, I want you hot or cold. I don't want you lukewarm. Don't, don't just, don't despise it. Don't walk away and say, I've had my, my, I'm done with this kind of junk. I want you to hate the false and I want you to hang on to the good. Do we hear what Paul is saying? He says, don't let false prophecy call, cause you to stop longing for true prophecy. The greatest danger of the false is that it takes away our appetite for the genuine. I asked earlier who's, had a fa- who's been burned by a false prophecy. And I had one hand and I appreciate that. <laughs> All I can say is either you haven't been in the Pentecostal world very long. Uh, or you're uh, shy. My guess is it's B. Uh, because any of us who've been around and walked with the, in these things at all have had all sorts of prophecies. Um, people putting dates on things. People uh, telling us uh, how many babies we were going to have. People telling us to sell our business and move to Detroit. People, if you get in the thing, you're going to get really strange and unfortunate stuff. You just are. I'd have to say that. Which is, which is why to even come along and say, okay, Paul, we're going to hear you and we're going to open our hearts and if this is the word of God, we want to walk it. We, this skill, this responsibility where you and I take responsibility for, for evaluating what we hear is essential or we'll soon despise prophetic utterance. It leaves us cynical. We sit in the seat of the scornful. Do you recognize that from Psalm 1? The person who sits and sneers at the thing of, things of God. Yeah, sure. We dismiss all prophecy and thus silence the Holy Spirit. But Paul says the answer is not withdraw, to withdraw, but to become more discerning. To, be, to stay so committed to, what, to hear God's true word that we won't tolerate a false word. We will test, confront, and even discipline if necessary. And as we do these, those things, we will always be kind to each other. See, it can be done kindly. Never mean. There must always be room for mistakes when a person is learning. There will be mistakes. We will make mistakes when we're learning. But if we're kind and if we correct, it makes us stronger. If any person or any church is going to grow in the spiritual gifts, the pneumaticos, Paul speaks of, they must accept the responsibility to grow stronger in their ability to recognize the voice of God. Did you follow? There will always be mistakes because we are human. So we must learn to separate the wheat from the chaff. Paul wrote to a Corinthian church that had much trouble in its use of the spiritual gifts. But he didn't tell them to stop. He told them to grow. So the question before you and me today is, will we grow? Scripture will always be our final authority in all matters of faith and practice. 
No prophetic word will ever be compared in value or authority to God's written word. All that is spoken will be tested by scripture. Did you follow this? One of the things that, that people worry about and sometimes as even I've seen happen is where you begin to elevate this kind of thing to the level of scripture. I know a church that would keep all of their prophecies and bound them up, you know, just like as though they're scripture. That's nonsense. The people who were chosen to write the word of God were specially gifted. Uh, I mean, they were able, Isaiah was able, John was able, I mean, Moses, they're able to write without flaw. Look, you and I will we'll, we'll exhort, we'll comfort, we'll edify one another, we'll speak the word of the Lord, we'll, sometimes we'll get warnings and things like that from the Lord, great. That's not scripture. So we gotta, we gotta get that real clear in our heads. We're allowing the Lord to speak among us. But nothing replaces this. It is our final authority in all matters of faith and practice. Everything we do and every word we hear will be judged by this. Are we clear? If that's the case, we'll, we'll be safe. There's a standard. If we begin to say what you're hearing is of equal value or authority, now we're a bunch of space cadets forming our own cult. Yet because God still desires to speak to his people to comfort, exhort, and edify us, maybe even warn, how we answer that question will either silence him or open our ear. Will you and I accept the responsibility to be discerning so he can continue to speak? The wonderful part of, of scripture is that it it is always challenging us. And as we step in to listen to the Apostle Paul talk about how the church is to function, how you and I are to function, not only individually, but together, to become open to the voice of the Lord in a real way and together among us, to listen to these things, it, it, it calls to every one of us, will I, will I become a spiritual woman? Will I listen and, and uh, be open to what God would do? Will I allow him to speak through me, minister through me? Will I do that? Will I be a spiritual man and allow the Lord to do this? No, I'm not a perfect person. No, I haven't. It's not like any of that, but I am going to allow God to use me. This is, this is the plan. This isn't just somebody's deal. This isn't just Pentecostal. This is the New Testament plan. It was Jesus' plan, and it is Paul in, in putting in action how Jesus wanted his church to function. Now, we're in the 21st century, and we've got all kinds of things we've got to work with. But there's going to be principles that you and I will see, truths that we will see that will change us and will demand us to grow. Are you and I willing to do that? It is my feeling that as we step into the world we live in right now, that the, uh, the importance of the, of the people of God, of able to hear the voice of God, and to move in the power of the Spirit is far more important than it has been for the last 200 years in our country. It's always important. But right now, it's vital. 
and it's becoming more vital. Will you and I do that? That's, I think, what the Spirit's asking, and me too, He's asking of us. Heavenly Father, we hear the word. We hear our apostle challenging us to, to listen carefully, to test the prophet in us and in others. And our answer, Lord, is yes, we will. Grow us, open our ears, teach us. Every one of us, some of us, this is easier than others, but possible for all. So we stand before you, Lord, as a people, and we want to be, we want to be, do things beautifully and in order, but we want the full life of the Holy Spirit. So come among us, Lord, and guide us. We give you our hearts. We give you our church. In Jesus' precious name we pray it. If you agree with that, would you say amen? amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.